Chapter Six of the Sea Witch. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jerry Dixon. The Sea Witch by Murray Maturin Ballou. Chapter Six, The Wreck. About a fortnight subsequent to the period of the last chapter, Mrs. Huntington and her daughter with a single attendant found themselves embarked on board the bengal a large well-found indiaman bound for liverpool the ship belonged to the east india company was a good carrier but calculated more for freight than speed she was a new ship and strong as iron and wood could be put together and the widow and her child found their quarters on board of an exceedingly comfortable nature they were the only passengers on board but the vessel had a heavy freight list and as she moved out from her anchorage to lay her course to sea, her draught of water was very deep. The Bengal fortunately encountered none but the most favorable winds and tides for many a long and to those on board somewhat monotonous days, and the sun rose out of the sea clear and bright, and sunk again beneath its surface in gorgeous splendor with every diurnal rotation, until at length the ship touched at the Cape of Good Hope where having taken fresh water and provisions on board she cleared direct for liverpool every hour now seemed more especially to draw the ship nearer her port of destination and a fresh spirit was infused among passengers and crew in cabin and forecastle but it was a long distance yet and the widow and her daughter found time for much study and reading for which they were amply supplied and thus the time was lightened in its progress and also well improved but the ocean is a treacherous element, and the fair weather which had so long characterized their voyage was to be varied now by fierce and angry gales. It was the season of the year when they might expect this, and the captain had kept a sharp lookout. It was the middle of a fine afternoon that there was observed a singular phenomenon in the wind which appeared to come from half a dozen points at the same moment. The ship, of course, lost her steerage way, and the sea began most singularly to get up from all points in heavy cross-waves. It was evident that they were either in the course of a whirlwind or close to its track, and every now and then gusts came first larboard then starboard, and again bows on and stern on, with a force that snapped the rigging like pipe-stems, and tore the canvas from the bolt-ropes, notwithstanding the prompt orders and nimble efforts of the seamen, before it could be secured. Half an hour of this strange weather nearly stripped the ship of her standing rigging, leaving her comparatively a helpless wreck upon the waters, a mere log at the mercy of the wind and waves. The worst had not yet come, however, for the ship was sound still in her hull, and save that she was now wallowing in the trough of the sea, she was comparatively safe. She had sprung no leak, but her heavy freight tested her powers fearfully, and the captain was fain to acknowledge that there was not to be done but abide the raging of the storm until it was over. His attempt to rig a jury-mast, on which to bend sail enough to give the ship steerage way, was perfectly fruitless. She rolled and pitched so fearfully that no effort of the kind could succeed, but the crew were kept busy throwing over the heavier at-tiles of freight to case the ship. As night came on with its intense darkness, relieved only by now and then a terrible flash of liquid fire, all on board expected each moment might be their last. Prayers were said, 
and all tried to compose their minds as far as possible to meet that death which seemed to be fast approaching them when suddenly their cry ran fore and aft that the captain was lost overboard this added to the general gloom and now our cry was heard there goes the flying dutchman as was seen by several on board the indiaman during the interval of the vivid lightning a large ship dashed by them almost within cable's length with a single topsail close reefed running before the gale with the speed of the wind it did indeed look like a phantom craft all was snug on board not a soul was in sight everything battened down save one dark form apparently lashed to the wheel stanchions and steadily bent upon keeping the ship before the storm it was a sight that added to the terror of those on board the indiaman and its effect was at once visible the ignorant and superstitious seamen ever ready to argue evil from any strange occurrence now felt assured of their destruction declaring that the strange appearance of the phantom ship was but a warning to foretell the fate that was preparing for them thus actuated all discipline was gone and no connected efforts were further made to protect the ship or render her in any degree safer from the power of the storm to add still more to the critical condition on board the ship, after straining and laboring so long, now began to leak and rapidly to fill. In this desperate state of affairs several of the crew, whose numbers were already thinned by being washed overboard, got into the spirit-room, and in a condition of wild desperation became beastly intoxicated, resolving to die insensible to danger. And at intervals their crazy oaths and incoherent songs were heard above the gale, at this crisis as is generally the case two or three sterling spirits among the crew and there is never a ship's company without some such among its members one the second mate and a couple of foremast hands came into the cabin and assured the widow and her daughter that they would protect them to the last and that they were even now preparing the longboat with compass water and food so that should the storm abate and the sea become less agitated before the ship should fill and go down they might launch it, and with the ladies and such of them as desired, attempt to save themselves in this frail bark. With heartfelt gratitude the mother and child accepted their protection and awaited the crisis, but not without solemnly kneeling together upon the cabin floor and committing themselves to the care of divine providence. The second mate of the Bengal was the only officer left, but he was a good sailor a man of cool nerve and great personal strength he now went calmly to work sounded the well and found four feet of water in the ship made his calculations how long it would require for the ship to fill at the rate she then made water and then set to work with his two companions to rig a triangle with spars above the longboat so as to lift and launch it just when the proper moment should arrive but this he found to be impracticable as the morning broke in the cast the gale subsided but the sea still kept up its angry commotion though that too gradually subsided the waves growing less and less and the ship becoming more and more quiet enabling those on board to keep at least upon their feet in the meantime the ship had gradually settled so that the water was already on the cabin floor in vain were the entreaties of the mate and his companions for the four or five hands who had possessed themselves of the key of the spirit-room to come on deck and save themselves they could neither be persuaded nor forced to move but lay in a state of beastly intoxication 
everything had been done that was possible to prepare for launching the longboat, and the widow and her daughter had already by the mate's sanction taken their seats within it, while one of the seamen secured and carefully stored the few articles of necessity which had been selected. The two masts of the boat were stepped and carefully secured. The gripes that secured the boat in its place were cut, leaving it standing upright in its wooden bed, but entirely free from the deck of the ship. Already had the ship sunk so low that all communication with the cabin was cut off, and the poor inebriated wretches who had there sought oblivion and intoxication also found their tomb. Food, water, and compass were properly disposed, so that any sudden movement of the boat should not dislodge them. Oars and sails in readiness, and a careful examination had, lest some straggling rope might in some way connect the boat with the wreck, so as to draw them under when the floundering mass should at last go down. The crisis which they now expected seemed strangely protracted, and their fearful suspense was almost unbearable. The mate had placed one of his hands at the bows, another amidships, while himself and the two passengers occupied the stern, the precaution having also been taken to secure the ladies by ropes to the boat. The weather had now entirely moderated, and the sea was comparatively calm, except that now and then a heavy swell would lift the waterlogged craft and surge about the hull, causing it to groan as though conscious of its approaching fate. Moments assumed the length of hours now, and the countenance of each was a picture of agonized suspense and momentary expectation. No one spoke above their breath. Again, the heavy swell caused the hull to lurch and pitch until her bows were almost buried and the water was even with the scuppers. The moment was approaching. "'Steady all,' said the mate, calmly as he saw another approaching swell, which he knew must cause the vessel to lift and settle again, and probably this time proved the signal for her final plunge altogether. "'Steady, I say, and hold on to the boat stoutly now. Don't let go, ladies, for an instant.' The seaman was right. The heavy hull was full as this surge came on, burying her for an instant, and actually sweeping the boat clear of her bulwarks out upon the sea, a most fortunate circumstance, which was instantly taken advantage of, by pulling with the oars for a single instant, and still further clearing the wreck, which now rose high at the bows for a moment as the stern settled and gradually sunk, causing a vortex which would certainly have engulfed the boat, had it not been able thus to pull a short distance away and which even now drew it rapidly back to the spot where the ship had laid and causing it to toss fearfully for a while but in a few moments more all was quiet thank god that is over said the mate earnestly it was little short of a miracle that we did not all of us go down with the ship the widow covered her face with her hands and breathed a silent prayer of thankfulness it was already night again and steering by the stars the mate laid his course, after affording a spare sail to cover the mother and her daughter, who, having partaken of some needed refreshment, the first for many hours, were soon lost in sleep, induced by the great bodily fatigue and physical exertion they had so lately encountered in this emergency. The men stood watch and watch, relieving each other at intervals throughout the night, while the boat with its two lugger sails crept on steadily upon its course. 
it was remarkable to observe the delicacy observed by those three seamen towards the widow and her daughter to mark their assiduity towards them as to their necessities and their wants while they on their part were patient uncomplaining and grateful the second and third day passed on when the mate calculated they were steering direct for the nearest point of land which they could not fail to reach in another day it being the coast of africa his calculations were made under disadvantages but he felt confident of their correctness the weather fortunately had been very calm and pleasant thus far since the gale had subsided and the frail craft thus exposed upon the ocean had really proved quite comfortable and weatherly for the time being a snug little apology for a cabin had been constructed over the forward part of the boat into which the ladies could retire at nightfall and become secure from the weather and be entirely by themselves and under the circumstances they were really quite comfortable that is to say they experienced little exposure to the elements at night and slept securely in their narrow quarters in leaving the ship the mother had been more thoughtful than many persons would have been and had taken the box which contained her valuables and such papers as comprised her heavy bills of credit on england in which way she was transporting the bulk of her husband's late valuable estate to her native land at first she had taken especial pains not to have the fact known to the men that she had any great amount of valuables with her lest it should prove a temptation to them and lead to some tragical result as is regarded the safety of herself and child but she need not have feared those hardy sons of the ocean were true as steel and it was only the second day that having laid the casket down carelessly in the boat she had retired to the little forecastle, forgetting it when it was brought to her again by one of them who remarked that he presumed it was something of particular value by its appearance according to the mate's reckoning the time had already arrived when the land should heave in sight and the three seamen were constantly on the lookout for it in the supposed direction where it should appear but all their search for it proved in vain there was the same endless expanse of ocean before them day after day bounded only by the dim horizon and unrelieved by any object while the same hope reigned in their hearts the exposure they endured though not very severe yet began to tell upon them all and especially the maid and two seamen and the cheeks of the seamen already looked sunken their eyes less spirited this was the combined result of their feelings of disappointment with physical labor for they worked several hours at the oars every day aiding the sailing power of the boat in the hopes of reaching the land before another gale or storm should occur now however they began to discard the oars and to feel less and less courage to labor in propelling the boat the widow who was not a little of a philosopher and a woman of good sound mind determined to do something to amuse the men and cheer them up in their emergency she saw how sadly they needed some such influence and telling her daughter of her purpose when night again came on she induced her to sing some of her sweetest airs with all her power of execution and to repeat them to the real joy and delight of these hardy men who at once gathered an agency from this music and declared it was the harbinger of good whether it was so in the way they supposed or not it certainly was a harbinger of good as it regarded its cheering effects upon them and their hearts were again filled with hope and their sinews bent once more to toil at the oars 
End of chapter 6. Recording by Jerry Dixon, Zephyr Hills, Florida.